Hello all, uh, welcome to Celestial Vibes podcast. Uh, today we have a special guest with us, uh, Dr. Laura Tad, and she's a psychological astrologer with uh, mythicsky.com. Uh, welcome to Celestial Vibes podcast, Dr. Tad. It's, it's a pleasure having you. Thanks for inviting me. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. And uh, so I just wanted to have a brief talk with you about uh, psychological astrology, basically about your uh, foray into psychological astrology and uh, the basic history and evolution of psychological astrology. Um, okay, it's a long history. It's hard to get into briefly. Um, but my own experience with it uh, is using astrology from a Jungian psychology archetypal perspective um, and using astrology as a counseling tool instead of merely predictive um, and using it to aid people to feel more personally empowered and understand themselves and their natural strengths and weaknesses that we all have. Um, and in you know, psychological astrology, definitely some of it began with Jung. He was Carl Jung, the uh, psychiatrist who was a student of Freud's, really started bringing in astrology into his own work um, towards the latter part of his life. And felt like astrology provided insight that years of talk therapy didn't provide him. So things about his patients that he couldn't quite understand or help them with, what kept eluding him in counseling, got clear with astrology. And so he really sort of started bringing that in. And then Dane Rudyard really started the humanistic astro psychology astrology movement. Um, and he really cultivated the beginnings of that and actually another astrologer a friend of mine mark jones who lives in the uk um, is doing research about the psychologist roberto seggioli who is italian who was also an avid astrologer and studied with rudyard and there's until mark's current work that he's writing now there's nothing written on uh seggioli's use of astrology um, that I'm aware of. And Mark happened to stumble upon boxes and boxes and boxes of charts in Asagioli's archives. So it has its roots in the, as psychology was really developing, you know, in the early part of the 20th century, that some of the more, um, that what is considered depth psychology movement, they were starting to play with astrology and see the overlaps and parallels between their theories and the more ancient theories of astrology. So that's a very interesting insight. So now that uh, psychological astrology is uh, like, it's a very significant diagnostic tool in the world and especially to uh, in the field of astrology. So it would be very uh, like, Insightful if you can educate us on the planetary impacts and effects on a native's behavioral attributes and traits from a psychological astrology point of view. Um, well, I think for me, when it comes to counseling with astrology, the first thing I always ask myself is, is that information helpful? And 
healing, that I may see things in the chart that it's not necessarily the time to tell the individual um, because of how they may react to it. And that the first piece is always about it being healing and helpful. And that astrology is a tool that I use, um, but that the primary thing is about helping the individual and not about being accurate or right in my prediction or interpretation. That that is important, but if it isn't helpful, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, and so that's the primary piece for me. Um, and in using an interpretation, it's looking at planets as archetype, as Mercury being the god of communication, yeah. representative of how we think, how we communicate, well, people's challenges with that at an emotional, psychological, personal, interpersonal level that helps them understand. And I've had multiple clients tell me, you know, God, now I don't feel crazy because they'd be stuck in patterns of behavior that they would get into self-shaming and blaming and not know why they were, even though intellectually they knew what they were, their patterning was not optimal, they kept falling into it. And it would show up in the chart. And, you know, maybe they have a Mercury-Neptune square. So they're unclear in their communication. And if they're not coming from a spiritual, creative, dreamy, alternative perspective. And if they are, then they're not able to communicate more clearly. And just being able to articulate something as simple as that signature People go, oh, okay, so it's not my fault that I'm bad at communicating. And that that is huge relief for most people to be able to just know that there's a reason. The psychologist, you know, um, in the existential psychology movement, you know, they pull a lot from uh, some of Nietzsche's work, right? And this concept that he who has a why can survive anyhow. And that what causes existential crises, what causes psychological, emotional stress is the inability to understand why it's happening. And as soon as we have a why, we're able to work through it. But it's the inability to find the rational explanation for it that is the additional stressor. And so even if the rational explanation is something as esoteric as astrology, it's still a reason that people can grasp and hold on to that then aids in their healing process. Yeah, it's very important that you actually mentioned about healing. So, and the basic point of uh, getting into astrology and more than that, psychological astrology is all about healing the clients. So, yeah. like, so, so we can easily make out of a chart that a person is uh, mentally weak. So when we are going to give a, like uh, a heads up to a bad period or a not really a good face that is coming up. So how do you deal with clients? For example, let's say a Scorpio moon. So there people have a huge amount of mental wavering. So uh, is there some specific ways how you handle that kind of clients? Yeah, well, I, I have lots of Scorpio Moon clients and family members. I'm very familiar with Scorpio Moon. Okay. Um, and, you know, the, there's layers. It's not just, oh, Scorpio Moons are vulnerable to being secretive and manipulative. And yes, 
there is that element of it. Um, but they're also often have lived through some very painful things. Yes, yes. And that secretiveness, that manipulativeness is coming out of a self-protective, self-defensive mechanism. And so helping people understand that the gift of the challenges they've been through is that it provides them with the potential to have profound amounts of empathy for the world, for other people, for their loved ones, because they feel everything at levels that most of us can't comprehend. And seeing it as a strength instead of a detriment, but I don't believe... I don't see any part of astrology as binary, as good and bad, black and white. I I wrote an article for the Mountain Astrologer a couple of years ago about reframing squares and this notion that squares are bad, these 90 degree angles are bad and trines are good. I don't see it that way. Squares are about growth. They're about needed, required change, which is uncomfortable, but it doesn't make it bad. And trines can be these easy flows of energy that we don't bother to take advantage of. I've seen people with lots of trines who do nothing with their life because it's all so easy. There's no drive. That's really fantastic. I think the most important point that you conveyed here is that uh, there is no good or bad chart. So, Incidentally, I was dealing with one of my friends who has Scorpio moon and what I've really seen with these people are that they are very good in planning, but uh, one particular uh, negative uh, incident or an event or just a small thing can actually divert them from their uh, big vision. But uh, the most positive thing is that they can easily come out of it when a real good uh, like someone who can actually read the mind when they can advise or give them a piece of uh, uh, word about how to go or how to take that particular thing in life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, like, uh, what I wanted to ask is like uh, learning that we were talking about. So I I saw your email, but uh, I didn't get time to actually respond to it properly. So I thought I'd just get in touch with you here. So. Mm-hmm. I think it's a never-ending psychological journey. Learning is actually a major theory when it comes to uh, psychology. So I think as age passes, uh, we learn to behave to get something we want or Mm -hmm. uh, even avoid something that we don't want. So that at at a basic level is actually a learning process. So is there a special position or something like that that you see from a psychological astrology point of view where um, a person's learning might get minimized or it, it gets uh, kicked off to a different level. So I don't think learning stops. Actually, I don't want to put it that way. But still, the learning process transforms or the learning process changes. So how do you see about it? Um, so I tend to see that more through transits than in a natal chart. Um, that the transits are what kicks off the desire to change or not. Um, That our our natal chart has multiple ways that it can manifest. And we make, we have free will and we can choose how we engage with that. And social cultural circumstances influence that as well. My father's a twin and his sister and he are very different people. 
but their charts are very similar because they're 20 minutes apart. And, um, you know, they have the same sun, same rising, same moon sign, all of that, different degrees of the rising. But, but my father's been married twice and has five children, and my aunt's never been married and has no children. <laughs> Right, so uh, yeah, that, but part, astrology is, I think, an entirely different phenomenon. Um, but part of what has had their charts be lived out very differently is by virtue of their gender. Yeah, that the way that a boy in America was raised in the 50s as opposed to a girl radically changed the trajectory of their life, and um. So there's elements, so just the natal chart doesn't tell me enough in terms of if and when an individual is willing to work through certain karmic lessons that they're, they're processing. What I've seen is that the transits come in and trigger opportunity to make new choices or to not make new choices or choose to remain in your current way of being. And so particularly Saturn transits, bring in points of work and resistance is what I see. Saturn, I always describe to clients as sort of like, it's like walking in the world with ankle weights, you know, <laughs> that everything feels like it takes more energy and more effort than you rationally believe that it should. And we can either use that to stay stagnant and not move or say, okay, well, the other side of Saturn is about discipline and discernment and pushing through that inertia to become an expert in what we are resisting rather than shrink and um, stay small. It's about, and not on our authority and not on our power out of what, and it, depending on how it, what it's aspecting, um, what the transit is, you know, then it manifests in different ways. But Saturn in particular, um, can do that. I also, you know, as a Western astrologer, use a lot of, I use Pluto, I use Chiron very regularly. Um, yeah. And Pluto, absolutely. It's hard to get out of a Pluto transit unchanged. Yeah. Um, yeah, Pluto is about transformations and that too, those transformations that we don't even realize due to the slowness of that particular planet. Well, and what I've seen particularly with Pluto transits is that um, you there's a delay. The transformation has happened, but it's usually at such a profoundly fundamental level that it's a couple years after the transit's done that you actually realize what it's about. Hmm. There are some crisis points that can happen with Pluto, but the degree to which you've transformed um, is usually you need perspective. I explain it to clients as sort of like with a small child. If you see a small child every day, you don't realize how much they're growing and transforming. Yes. In the same way that you would if you were gone for two weeks, it's like, you know, you see it's a radical transformation, even though it's the same amount of growth and transformation, but because you didn't witness it, you didn't have, you, you don't, you aren't, aware of the degree to which it's changed and so when you get the perspective of a transit having been completed then you go wow okay i was really i've totally transformed how i am in my personal relationships or how i pursue my career um and that it does take 
a few years after particularly outer planet transits um, to gain the perspective to realize how much change has occurred. Uh, and yes, so I wanted to ask about this narcissists. How do you deal with those kind of people from psychological astrology point of view, or how do you actually look into it from a chart? Um, depend. It's. I mean, it's. Nar the root of narcissism is actually insecurity. Yeah, basically. So it's first needing to understand that, and it gets complicated. I mean, there's varying degrees of narcissism in, you know, in how people operate, and um, so it there isn't a one size fits all approach um, that. It's, if, I mean, generally speaking, if somebody's coming to you for counsel, they're wanting to work on themselves. The only time that doesn't happen is when it's a gifted reading and they're doing it because somebody gave it to them as a birthday present and they're not really engaged, right? So then that, those to me are the hardest clients to work with because they're not coming to you out of a personal desire to grow or self-growth, understand themselves, understand their relationship. Um, and so in dealing with somebody who is, you know, self-absorbed, you know, there's also clinical narcissism as opposed to just having narcissistic behavior is very different. Um, but cause when you're getting into the level of clinical narcissism, you know, there's often trauma associated with that part of that. Again, narcissism is rooted in insecurity. It's rooted in not feeling good enough. It's rooted in profound rejection, usually linked to childhood, if it's showing up in adults. Um, and so there's a healing that needs to happen around that trauma to be able to have the narcissistic behavior shift. Um, and it's not just a matter of getting a narcissist to acknowledge other people in their life. Because if the pain, the trauma from the past, in their past, and that can be past life, life too. Um, I call it soul PTSD. It's this notion that we react with a trauma response like PTSD to things that are from previous incarnations. Um, and so, you know, people who are terrified of heights, well, maybe there's nothing in this lifetime that's had them have that level of traumatic response to being on a ladder. And yet they have a physiological reaction like there was. Well, it's a soul, it's this soul PTSD. It's this soul memory of I fell off a ladder in a previous lifetime. Um, and so that can happen with the narcissistic behavior too, that this profound sense of not being good enough being demonstrated this lifetime and previous lifetimes. And that often in terms of karmic pieces shows up in looking at the nodes and seeing um, the nodal signatures and how the nodes are aspected. Um, and so that would indicate how deeply rooted that behavior is. Is it more surface level or are you dealing with 
lifetimes of healing that needs to happen. Okay. So uh, getting back to you, so uh, just want to know a little bit about your uh, foreign to psychology and uh, about your PhD and even more behind so about your education and all those. Um, sure. So for me, you know, with getting into um, psychological astrology, it all started, you know, I was raised by hippies. So astrology was around my whole childhood. They had my chart above my crib when I was an infant. I absorbed it through osmosis as a newborn. Oh. Um, but it really didn't become a part of my life until I was in my early 20s when I was in college. And I joined a women's group that was using astrology to help understand what was going on in the lives of the women in the group. And so that was the beginning of this sort of merging of astrology and psychology. And I describe it as sort of being bit by the bug, like the acting bug that I just got hooked and it made things in my life make sense. My own it, painful events in my life started clicking and making sense and I could unpack them and understand them in a different way, which helped things heal and helped me understand them in a way that was not just a victim of circumstance, but I could see the, the lesson within them and the growth potential within that. And then I ended up doing a year and a half training with the woman who was facilitating the group. And out of that, decided to go back to graduate school um, where I had been studying psychology. And then I was so unhappy with the direction that, that psychology has taken in this country um, that is very medical model, scientific. Everybody needs to fit in this tiny little box and nothing deviates. And we all are these cookie cutter ways of operating. And I don't agree with that. I don't find it helpful or healing. And, and if anything, I find it damaging to individuals. And so I had dropped out of graduate school. But with astrology, decided to go back and find ways of merging the two. And it actually, actually is linked to the lecture I'm giving at UAC in that I was at a conference um, called the Child Spirit Conference that was looking at exploring how rich children's spiritual lives are, even if their parents aren't spiritual people, that kids have deeply spiritual experiences and how to hold space for that. And it wasn't about astrology. It was about psychology and spirituality. Um, but while I was in the lecture, I had one of the lectures, um, I had this sort of epiphany aha moment that our charts are the transits our parents were experiencing when we were born, which in some ways is obvious. And that yet at the same time was sort of like this light bulb going off for me of understanding that yes, the synastry, which is, you know, when we compare two charts together to see how the harmony or disharmony that exists between the charts that that's also the transits. And so we become these locked moments in time for our parents. And so my dad and I have our Mars's conjunct. Right? Mars is at the exact same degree. Oh. So he was in a Mars return when I was born, but he's sort of always in a Mars return because I exist. 
that yeah. transit's never That's really done. Yeah. And so when I had that aha moment, I decided I had to go back to graduate school because if I wanted to talk about this parent-child family dynamic piece in the context of astrology, being the child of hippies talking about astrology was not going to get me in the doors that I wanted to communicate this about. It would just stay insular within the astrology world, but I wanted to get it into university. I wanted to bring it into therapy and I had to get a degree to make that happen. Um, and so I went back to graduate school and ultimately got a doctorate um, in human science, which is an interdisciplinary social science degree um, where it's looking at psychology, sociology, philosophy, cultural studies, sort of all interwoven together and was able to, because I was at a more open-minded alternative school, um, it was the same school that Richard Tarnas and yeah. Glenn Perry got their doctorates, but they got them 30 years before. Okay. Um, but so there was, even though there was no astrologers on my committee for my dissertation, oh. um, I was able to write on astrology. And um, for my, for the doctoral thesis, I interviewed six astrologers um, about what it's like to be an astrologer in contemporary Western society where astrology is still not very well accepted. As much as it's sort of a pop culture phenomena, mm. the um, real, the, the truth, the depth of astrology is still not widely accepted. And it's still, it's, I've been working on a piece for a number of years at this point um, that may be part of a book, but looking at astrology as the black sheep of the new age. And that yoga, meditation, acupuncture, all of Ayurvedic medicine even has become more accepted than astrology. Uh, that astrology remains this sort of ugly stepsister that um, people still only see it as sun sign astrology for the most part. Um, that percentage, the very few people within you know, the mainstream understand that astrology is more than a, you know the sun was in leo when i was born um okay but sort of thing i've had different experiences maybe i have met only those people who support or uh, accept astrology as a real science or something like that or attached or close to science because we live in a generation where even scientists go ahead and call astrology as pseudoscience uh, I think it is just because uh, people are unable to prove or uh, validate astrology. They call it as pseudoscience. Or yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, it doesn't fit the, the model that some of the science, sciences want it to. And so they call it a pseudoscience because of the inability to have the the repeatability that they want in science to prove, okay, every time this planetary alignment happens, this is what manifests. Yeah. They want astrology to be that simple. But as I was saying with my dad and his sister, it's like, but there are other factors. There are confounding variables that need to be taken into account. The chart's never going to tell you gender. It's not going to tell you race. It doesn't tell you sexual orientation. 
other than the fact that you're using coordinates of where the person was born, you don't know where they were raised. You just know where they were born. So it doesn't tell you their cultural, sociocultural context, which all of that influences how the chart is lived out. And those are all confounding variables that you can't quantify um, in terms of doing scientific study. Yes. Uh, uh, and it's like, I think you made a very brilliant point here. And uh, I'm reminded of the fact that uh, scientists tend to take the human element out of astrology. I think science, or let's not say science, but let's say scientists, what they work is based on a, a basic formula or they they work to like uh, derive a formula based on which something is going to work but uh, as you said uh, astrology cannot be formulated except for the fact that we have 12 signs and uh, these many planets so but basically in astrology i think the human intuition plays a very major role that uh, scientists tend to forget so there i think they're pretty much removing the human quotient or the intuitive quotient of a human from science as they see and there's yeah and there is some shift i mean that's really in the quantitative way of doing research in the qualitative movement which is which sort of started in the 60s 70s in this country for the most part is really when it started gaining traction um and it is there you know the university i went to saybrook they are they really push qualitative and that's what my research was because they're that does give space for the humanity element of it, for the individual piece of it that you can't quantify humanity. And that, so my dissertation, that's why it was on the lived experience of what did the six people that I interviewed, what has their lived experience been as astrologers in a culture that doesn't value what they do? And yet they pursued it anyway. And I had you know, the eldest person I interviewed, she's now since passed away, but was um, Alice O'Howell, who was a Jungian astrologer um, and was almost 90. She was in her third Saturn return when I interviewed oh. her. And um, the youngest, I interviewed Chris Brennan, who was not even 30 at the time. Yeah, um, great. And so I had this huge swath of people literally ranging in like age, you know, a 60 year age gap, 80, you know, um, and being able to see how different their experiences were and similar, that there were both overlaps and uniquely different lived experiences that was partly age, partly gender, partly the times in which they live, yeah. um, and how long they've been practicing astrology. Um, but that there, that allowed to have the human element of it, the human lived experience, uh, yeah. and show the value in it at the same time. Yeah. And uh, thank you so much for mentioning about the Saturn return. So people generally tend to take Saturn return like uh, based on events uh, or happenings in their lives. But I don't think uh, even uh, like 
substantial amount of astrologers don't give so much importance to the psychological part of saturn return so mm. do you have any specific analysis of how to explain saturn return from a psychological point of view um well i, I it, so the first one i think they're different yeah. um i mean they're variations on themes um that the first one i described clients often is a sort of a, when you grow up or you don't um it's there are events that are representative of that um you know where people often get married they have children it's when i went to graduate school you know so that was part of that sudden return i was also very lucky in that it only hit exactly once because <laughs> its retrograde cycle didn't have it hit multiple times oh. um so i was fortunate in that it was a brief sudden return oh. um but but it is this time where you sort of step into adulthood in a new level or that is the potentiality of it is you get to grow up you get to start adulting at a new level so psychologically it's shifting in out of youth into adulthood in a new way um is the is what is being asked of us now depending on the individual depending on how that saturn is aspected depending on how many times that hit happens if it is a retrograde cycle maybe they it is an exact hit five times right um the degree to which they need to learn that lesson and how intense that lesson becomes um varies and so there can be multiple events that are linked with each passing but it so it's more and more layers of adulting more and more layers of there's an element too of it that it's about self honesty yeah that's the most um, important thing that saturn emphasizes is you know i have a client who unfortunately she had it hit seven oh. times <laughs> she had multiple retrogrades two retrograde cycles crossed she oh. had to deal with saturn and hectic yes and you know and in in that period of time it was the death of her father her a divorce and she went to graduate school all of that was saturn energy because all of that was about her stepping into her own power in different ways in different layers and so the psychological piece was like okay this is a really you you're stepping into who you are owning your own power in a new way and there's layers karmically that she needed to work through um and you know not everybody had that's one of the more intense saturn returns that i've had to help somebody walk through um but it is so that's you know with the first one with the second one that happens you know more around 60 what i've seen with folks is it's when you know everything the things they failed to take responsibility for show back up what have they not been accountable for where have they failed to own their own authority over the last 30 years and so the psychological piece often thematically things will repeat that happened in their youth and that they need to understand at a new level they need to deepen their relationship with um 
and you know, it's, I haven't worked with very many people who've gone through their thirds. It's not a huge percentage of the population that makes it into their 90s to go through the third one. Um, but I think that that, at least what I witnessed, I could say with my grandmother, um, was that she sort of got back to herself in her 90s, that she sort of was in survival mode for much of her life. She was, she came to the United States to visit her sister in 1939 and the Nazis invaded Poland and she couldn't get home. Oh. And, you know, so her Saturn return was that okay. pretty much. Her first one was, um, she had Saturn in cancer and she lost, she wasn't able to be home. She lost her, ho her country, her language. With her third one, she was no longer in survival mode. She was empowered in a way that I never had seen her ever until she got into her 90s. Okay. Um, and so I think that the third one is, can be that. It's like, okay, I've done a lot of the work. I, hopefully, hopefully by 90, most of us have done our work yeah. that we came here to do. And things are over by then. Um, well, and she had stuff, you know, I don't think she's done incarnating, um, but that she was finally feeling sort of secure to be her herself in a way that I hadn't witnessed previously. Um, and so I think that's one of the potentials of that third Saturn return. Um, and it's often a lot of reflection on the past. Part of that's the age, just being in your night, like at that stage of life a reflection over your lifetime. Um, and I think that can be part of that Saturn return as well, is looking back over, you know, Saturn governing time, looking back over the lifetime. Um, and so I think that can be part of, what do you feel you haven't completed? What is there left to do? I remember even as my grandmother was dying, she was Catholic and she kept saying, what have I not done? Why, why can't I get to St. Peter? She was aware that like there was a block, something was blocking her from leaving her body. Um, and so she, um, you know, at that, and that was after her Saturn return, she was 95. Um, but there was this reflection of, okay, what is it that I haven't finished? Because as soon as I do that, I can jump off planet. Um, and aware that there was something, resist, some resistance within her that she must have to do something more before she could transition. So that was really interesting <laughs> and also very intense. <laughs> so I was wondering if you have some experiences of chant, like where the native gets to influence by others in the daily walks of their life and uh, tends to forget their own self, um, like their attitude or approach towards life? Um, I think, I, yeah, I mean, I'm not forever. I think people can go through phases of that. I think that that shows up often when there's a lot of strong Libra in the chart. Oh. Uh, I see that with Libra moons a great deal, is that they are very susceptible to um, losing themselves in partnership. Um, 
So, you know, strong in Western astrology, strong seventh house, dominant seventh house, lots of, you know, dominant Libra archetype um, is where I see that the most often. Um, but I, again, I don't believe it to be sort of, oh, that's, that they never get back to themselves. I think that, um, but that Libra is the most vulnerable to that, of that desire to sort of peace at any cost is how I describe it. Yeah, I think every every human is kind of inspired or uh, influenced by something or the other uh, that uh, go through in their life. Yeah, well, and I think, yeah, I mean, from a psychological perspective, some of that, it's people can lose themselves out of a, or their sense of self out of a desire. I mean, there's different motivations for it. So it can be to fit in. And so we're inauthentic out of a desire to have a false sense of belonging. Mm. Um, because that yeah, humans are social creatures. And so if someone is saying, oh, well, if I don't express the this part of me, my part B, my, you know, then, then I have community and I'll close off part of my personality to have community because that can feel of more importance to people at times than <clears throat> being authentic. Sure. Um, and <laughs> so it's often coming in. It's that sometimes it's a conscious choice to deviate from our authentic selves. And sometimes it's, I mean, it's survival oriented. Um, and, and again, as I was saying earlier, it's like transits can help shift that. Um, so it's not a general thing that a native sticks with it. So it, it can vary, they, they can get back to their own self again. So it's not a permanent state of mind. Not to me. Um, I mean, it may. Um, it may take people a really long time to get unstuck. Um, but it's part of what I see the Uranus um, opposition to be about that happens around 42. Um, is Uranus is in part about authenticity. Yeah what's called the midlife crisis transit <laughs> um, because it's about that is often a crisis point for people who've been living inauthentically oh. where they suddenly go, wait, when the hell did this become my life? This isn't what I wanted. And they quit their jobs, they end their marriage, they relocate because they have this sort of awakening that Uranus can trigger of this isn't what I wanted out of my life. And they redirect um, is the potential of that. Not everybody does. Some people have that awakening, but feel like they can't do anything about it and stay <clears throat> more stuck. But there is subtler changes. Not everybody sort of throws up their you know, whole world. And the degree to which that happens varies on how authentic or inauthentic the individual has been leading up to that. Okay. Uh, so, but you act 2018, 
so i i saw that you are uh, talking about uh, stellar parenting parent child relationship in astrology yeah uh, i think it's uh, it's a very very significant topic at this point of time uh, mm-hmm. like uh, generally astrologers choose to talk talk about like saturn return or uranus shifting or mm-hmm. the age of aquarius and and what not so but i think this is a very significant and a very interesting topic that you have chosen so is there a motivation or inspiration like that you had in order to take this particular topic um so some of what i had talked about before in terms of what led me to graduate school um and it's continued to be a passion of mine i love working with kids as well um some of my favorite clients are teenagers um that they are just eating it up they're so excited to have the information um uh, i'm actually <laughs> surprised that teenagers are actually approaching astrologers i've never seen it happen maybe that's new to me okay um but yeah i mean i love working with kids i think that it i've found that particularly with teenagers it's really helpful for them to have an adult that is listening and doesn't have an agenda like their parents yes um but i also have found in working with parents so the parent child piece is multi-layered working with parents to understand the uniqueness of their child and how each child really requires slightly different parenting you don't want to do what in psychology they call differential parenting where you really parent each child radically different and one kid feels really like they've got attention from their parents and one doesn't that's very unhealthy but altering slightly how you raise a child based on their personality is really profoundly helpful in allowing that individual to to succeed in life um and looking at the astrology between the parent and child where within the same family based on the astrology maybe the father is in a better position to discipline one child and the mother's in a better astrological alignment to discipline another yeah and that really makes sense so using tailoring it to the individuals within the family um <laughs> and seeing how i have a client um who's a libra son and her she has two boys and her two boys all of their personal planets are in opposition their suns are in opposition their moons are in opposition mercury venus mars all in opposition they're all opposite signs so they and as a libra mom she just wants her teenage boys to get along and ask me you know is it ever are they ever going to get along they haven't seemed to like each other since they were toddlers and in looking at their charts going they are so different <laughs> and potentially they they can be amazing teachers for each other to have that with a brother where you are each other's polar opposites has the potential for profound growth and support with each other but at 16 that's a tall order and here's the libra mom who just wants her kids to get along she wants to keep the peace with these two boys that are butting heads at every turn and 
just being able to help her understand like you're not failing as a mom to get your boys to get along they are profoundly different human beings and that becomes a relief to her and then understanding okay they're teachers for each other in all of those oppositions <laughs> but they're teenagers so they're not really wanting to learn from each other right now so give them a decade and they may really come together and be each other's profound champions but at age-wise psychologically development-wise it's a tall order at this point <laughs> and so working with parents in that way you know, again like just having her feel like she's not failing as a mom because her boys don't get along is this huge relief and she can let that go and go okay she's just going to develop her relationship with each of them separately and cultivate that relationship with them as individuals and if and when they choose to come together as brothers is at this point secondary that's not her job right now keeping the peace between them you know and helping them value each other isn't her role in this moment um and so i'm working with it in that way um the other way that i love working with it in that content in the parent-child dynamic is even as adults and helping people with long lived out patterns with their parents even when everybody's an adult um that you still find yourself in the same patterns with your parents that you had when you were 12 yeah. and helping people to understand that dynamic um where there's old resentments old frustrations even if it's decades ago looking at their relationship with their parents from an astrological perspective to give them an understanding of their parents are flawed human beings too and that's okay no. most of us on the planet are not bodhisattvas so we're gonna have some <laughs> karma that we're working through Thanks. and being able to contextualize that for people to have compassion and empathy for their parents when they're grown rather than resentment for their parents not living up to the ideal that they wanted them to be um, and that that also being a helpful healing process for people uh, i think it's a very uh, broad topic probably we should have a separate session on this this, this parent chat yeah. relationship and yeah i mean i've been working on a book on it it's a big oh a that's very good i think that was my next thing that i was about to ask you if there is any future projects or interesting things that you'd like to discuss about yeah so i've been in the you know for a while sort of early stages of putting together a book on this piece on this parent child dynamic and wanting to write it um in a way that is both for the layman you know so for the non-astrologer to see the value um and yet you know my my challenge with writing on astrology is finding that sweet spot between not being too academic and technical um and not having it be so diluted and that it's the sun sign horoscope column and it's not getting into the profundity that astrology has so finding that edge where this book can be speak to both astrologers see the value as astrologers of integrating 
you know, working with parents and children um, and multi-generational astrology, as well as having it be applicable for people who just want to understand their kids more um, and how to, how to help them. And so, you know, navigating that, um, it may have to be two books, but seeing, you know, how to find a way that, that that could be useful and helpful to both people, both, both groups of people. Uh, I think that's a very interesting and a great initiative, probably which will be useful for every parent uh, across the world. So, and yeah, I found yeah. it's endlessly fascinating. <laughs> um, and, and it can be, it doesn't need to be the whole chart. It doesn't need to be everything. You know, when, in working with parents, sometimes I'll just look at one part of the chart at that time anyway and say, you know, there are kids struggling in school. And we just look at what's going on with Mercury. And it can be one little piece of advice that isn't interpreting the whole chart. It's not even getting necessarily into karmic patterning. It, I, it can be that, but sometimes even just saying, you know, your kid needs is a multi-sensory learner. That's where they're struggling. They've got to be using something tactile. That's why they're having a hard time focusing. And I, that can be revolutionary to parents, even though it's a two, it's a two minute conversation. It can radically change how that child is learning and the degree to which they're taking in information. Um, so, and uh, Dr. Tad, uh, how, how would people reach you if they want to get your readings or something? So just going to my website, mythicsky.com is the best place to get a hold of me. Because okay. there's, there's a contact page there, so people can email me sure. through there. Um, and I think we'll uh, wrap it up here, Doctor. So it was fantastic discussing with you on uh, psychological astrology, and uh, hopefully we'll have a session, on, a special session on uh, child-parent astrology yeah. relationships. Uh, I'd love that. Yeah, it's definitely yeah. one of my passions. Uh, and thanks for, thanks for being here. Thanks. Yes, absolutely. Thank you.